You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. You know, reading and learning helps me fill my mind with ideas and perspectives from other people. And I enjoy sharing those quotes with you from reading them. I haven't read anything from this author before, but I did search out this quote. And it's leadership is about recognizing that there's greatness in everyone. And your job is to create an environment where the greatness can emerge. And that's from Bill Campbell. And Bill is actually referenced in this podcast by the gentleman I'm about to interview. And you are listening to episode number 214. And my guest today is Hayden Hatfield. Hayden is a soon-to-be father. He's a husband, lifetime learner, and the head basketball coach for Jackson Hole High School. Hayden had the great privilege of growing up in the South and also attending with frequency one of our nation's premier sporting events, which gave Hayden the opportunity to see top professional athletes performing at their best. So he's going to share that with you today. And with the right mentor guiding Hayden, he had a few of them, he was able to find his path and learn what it means to be a coach. And after learning from his mentors and being a lifelong learner, Hayden's carrying that forward and applying those skills that he learned from his mentors as the head basketball coach at Jackson Hole High School. And Hayden is coaching students on important lessons to be successful on and off the court and in those students' future. I think you're going to enjoy listening to Hayden today. Hayden, thank you for joining me here today at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's awesome, and I appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. Yeah, no, thanks, Stefan. We're really, really excited to be on here and kind of share a little bit about what we're doing. You you got it. Well, I always like to start with you sharing your background of where were you born and where'd you grow up? And I also am going to ask about the flags because I get to see what's behind you right now. Oh, yeah. So, right. Yeah. You know, so I'm going to have you share about those flags, but tell us where you grew up and where you were born and then how'd you land out here in Jackson? Yeah, it's kind of a long, long story. Originally, I'm from Decatur, Alabama, another one of those Southern transplants out here. Grew up there, went to college at a small school in Charlotte, North Carolina, Queens University of Charlotte, just by chance. Kind of, you know, knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. Wanted to get involved in sports. They had a really good sport management college program. Uh, I was just up and rising, kind of starting out. And so I decided that'd be great for me. You know, I got really lucky because I decided basketball would be my kind of future. And when I got there, I didn't know a ton about the basketball program, but I got on as kind of like a student manager, probably my sophomore year. And got really lucky that the head coach, his name's Bart Lundy. He'd taken them to like their division two school. He'd taken them to four or five elite eights in the uh, NCAA division two. So I got really lucky that I got on, you know, learning from a guy that had a lot of success. He was a head coach at High Point before that. So a really good basketball background taught me a ton. And, you know, some of the stuff that he, he does and taught 
me, we still do here at Jacksonville High School now. So stay with me at that all that time. He's now the head coach at Division One University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So he's he's done really well for himself. And I got very fortunate that I got on with him early on in my career. Kind of like, you know, it's all about who you know. And uh, I got really lucky that he was that guy. Sounds like uh, a great mentor. Absolutely. A really good guy. He's had a lot of successful coaches come from his tree too. Hmm. Um, I think there's three, two or three division one coaches now from his coaching tree. Um, hmm. And so some of the guys he connected me with kind of propelled my career from there. You know, when I was there at Queens, I started working basketball camps for a guy named Buzz Williams. He was at Virginia Tech at the time, kind of became my you know, number one mentor taught me a ton of stuff. The the main takeaway, it kind of propelled me from just being a, you know, young kid who liked basketball. I wanted to coach into being kind of a leader would be, you know, he taught me that if you're not reading books, you're not learning and you're falling behind. And so he's a guy that he reads about 60 books a year. Math wise, I think that's about a little more than four a month, I think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm nowhere close to that, but I try to, uh, you know, learn from him and do that too. read a lot, get different experiences from other people who've done the same stuff or that I'm trying to do, you know? So from, from, you know, that coaching tree, I got on college staffs at Troy university, which is South Alabama for the, those of you that don't know. And then I got on finally, my last college stint was at, uh, Mercer university, which is in Macon, Georgia. Very fortunate too. the guy I got on with there. I got on his staff as Bob Hoffman. And he was a really, really good X's and O's offensive mind in the game of basketball. And he kind of propelled me in that way as well. And from there, second season, our staff got fired. Uh, the head coach got fired. So our whole staff split up and we all went our own different routes. From there, I went the high school route. I got a really good high school assistant coaching job in Atlanta, Georgia for the high school's Meadow Creek High School. And it was a uh, it's the largest high school in the state of Georgia at 4,500 students. Woo. Yeah, huge. And so I learned a lot there. And that's, you know, that was my last stop for Jackson. And kind of just to, you know, sum it up, the why Jackson Hole, I, I vacationed here right as the pandemic was kind of, you know, I, not ending, but all the uh, lock, lockdowns were kind of getting, you know, we're, we're ending that. So right when those ended, I kind of went on vacation here. And I fell in love with it. It's one of those jobs I said, if that, if that high school job ever comes open, I'm applying. Hmm. Lo and behold, that next March, or I think April, that job came open. I interviewed and got really lucky and somehow got the job. So, you know, 26-year-old guy, got the head coaching job for the first time. I guess I was 25 at the time. And so, uh, you know, that's how I kind of got to Jackson Hole. Loved it. Fell in love with the culture, um, with the town, obviously the outdoors activities. Plus two. That's how we got here. You you said you got the job. Would you say you earned it? I would say I earned it. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You I don't know. think that's being boastful, Hayden. I think it's just the reality. You put the time in. You were reading absolutely. the books. You were under the right people. You've earned it. Absolutely. That's part of it. You know, it's it's you know what? How much time did you put into it? What we try to teach now to our team is it's really what what you put into is what you're going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And. Going back to your history, we got to talk a little bit before the show, and you have some flags that are behind you. Share with everybody about those flags and your family's connection, the history of that. I, I think it's awesome to hear. Yeah. For those of you that don't know, the, the Masters is like, I mean, it's, it's hard to get tickets to the Masters. And so growing up, I was very fortunate. My great-grandparents, specifically great-grandmother now, has had 
family tickets since way long time ago. I want to say the 60s would be a rough estimate of when they finally got those tickets. And so the Masters is, you know, it's a lifelong ticket back then. So as long as she's living, we get Masters tickets. And so now she's 101 years old. And so we're still receiving Masters tickets every year as a family, just because she's been on the list since early 60s would be my guess. So we're very fortunate she's still kicking it and uh, we're, we're still getting some tickets too. <laughs> That's awesome. And so growing up, you got to go to the Masters pretty frequently. Yeah, I get asked this question quite a bit. I can't put an exact number on it, but I'd say eight to 10 would be the number of times I've been. That's awesome. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen Tiger win it, seen Phil Mickelson win it. The most recent, I think it was Matsuyama won it. Uh, and I was there for that one. So cool. Um, that was the most recent. Yeah. That's it's awesome. hard to get out there now, flight wise, since we've been living out here, but try yeah. to do it every and then. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I was in, in school, the coaches would also teach classes. Do you teach classes as well? I do. So at the high school, I'm a special education teacher. I teach sophomore special education program classes, which it kind of consists of going into, you know, help some students reach the content in like an English class per se, but also we have our individual, like uh, we call it individual instruction, where we teach them skills to be successful in high school. What are some of those skills that you might be teaching some of these kids? Yeah, no, executive yeah. functioning is a big one. Executive functioning, which is kind of turning in homework assignments. That's, that's a skill. And a lot of kids these days do not have that skill. The pandemic has really challenged teachers and getting kids to be successful through, you know, just being a, a great student skill-wise. So that's something we teach is turning in homework as how to study is another thing. That's a big one these days. There's so many different ways you can study. And the, you know, the, the number one method these, these days is looking at your computer and just kind of looking at it. Not a lot, not a lot of kids these days have no cards out, kind of like we grew up doing no cards and uh, mm -hmm. just writing down, memorizing things. So teaching them just study skills is the number one thing we can do uh, in my position. I'm, I'm old school about writing it down and the note cards and reading it several times. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I'm actually overboard on it. I, I have tons of note cards. Like there's a stack on my desk right here, right now, just of random things, random thoughts and quotes and stuff I found. And so I have a system, a note card system I do mm -hmm. too. It's kind of, it's over the top for sure. And I file, like I have a category of basketball practice and it's like a thick, you know, stack of note cards behind that. And then you go, you got a leadership co category. So I got, I'm really worried about my note cards and how we learn, learn things, memorize things. Old school. You mentioned some quotes or something about leadership. Do you want to share something that you might have in one of those note cards? Oh man, let's see right here. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just read a couple right here. I mean, so this is the stack for leadership right here. That's, That's right a good. big one. <laughs> 100, 150 note cards just over the years we compiled from reading books and such. A great leader cares more about the people than the results. Who is that? That was Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell, if I remember correctly, uh, he has a book out. It's about him. It's called Trillion Dollar Coach. He was a leadership coach. He, he was at first a football coach, I think at one of the Ivy League schools, Princeton maybe. And he wasn't very successful as a football coach. But then he got into coaching like CEOs and being leaders of big time corporations. And eventually he was, you know, leading people at Google. He was their key culture guy at all these big time corporations. It's a really good book if you haven't read it. Yeah, I just wrote it down to add it to my list. Yeah, I do that. It's a better way for me to 
say I need to go find something to tell a kid about habits. I'll go scroll through my note cards. All right, habits. Find a good quote. You know, you know, you don't learn something new. You have to forget something old that's bad. Mm. Boom. Go. So it's a good system for me to, as a coach to kind of mm-hmm. have things squared away and ready to go. That's a, that's excellent. I love it. I have a book of quotes, but I don't have my quotes organized as well as you do on note cards by category. Well, it's all about for me time. I don't have much time to have something to a kid that's struggling, you know. Sure. So it's it's a very organized way for me to get something really quick. Yeah. Have you ever read any of John Wooden's books? Absolutely. I got, so I got my collection right above me on my bookcase. I probably have about three, three wooden books up there. They're great. Obviously his pyramid of success. We kind of have a, our own version of pyramid of success here at Jacksonville high school boys basketball. <laughs> uh, we try to live it out. Uh, we're still tweaking it here and there, but we're not, we're not quite to where wooden was with it. Tell us how, how you're applying that. What is the John Wooden pyramid of success and how, what does it look like at the Jackson Hole High School? You know, it's a little different. We have tweaks here and there of it. You know, the ultimate goal is competitive greatness. That's our, that's the top of our pyramid. How do we get to competitive greatness? You know, for us, competitive greatness isn't just winning a lot of games. For us, competitive greatness would be, you know, are we getting better every single day? Are we judging it, our status? as a team against the team instead of the opponent. So in other words, are we, you know, are we getting better individually each day at ourselves? Daily progress. Uh, another word for that we use quite a bit or are starting to use quite a bit is Kaizen. Yeah. Uh, Japanese or Chinese, can't remember which one. Japanese. Yeah. And just daily progress. Are we getting better every day? Are we doing the things we need to every day to become successful people? I love it. Yeah. So- and that's, that's the thing too. I geek out on the culture stuff, big, big time, you know, learner of cultures and how can we, how can we implement some of that stuff into what we do? Mm-hmm. I'm reading a book right now. It's from the early eighties. It's called the reckoning by okay. I think David Habersham. I mean, it's, I had to find it used. I mean, it's a, yeah, one of those, it's a thousand <laughs> page book. It, it's essentially the competitiveness of the U S auto industry. And it focuses a lot on Ford and the Japanese auto industry and what the Japanese auto industry had to do to overcome, to build itself up after World War II. Mm-hmm. And for a while, MacArthur was over there. He was leading, he was running the country. Right. And if they wanted something, the you know, these business people, they had to go to him for approval. <laughs> and also until they could be sustainable i mean at one point they weren't allowed to build planes wow yeah and it and i'm getting into how they came over here to the u.s to learn the processes to make their process better but then they took their culture and added to it to make it continually better yeah saying that we can make it better and it's that kaizen and yeah get into the fold into the the books the toyota way about that Kaizen thinking. Yeah, no, I love that. Yeah, I read a book too. I can't remember which one it is. It was one of the, I read a few this summer and it was in there and I was like, wow, that's something we've got to utilize and get into our culture. And I've always, you know, preached about the process, but now, now we have a different word for it. Something that, you know, we can go in a different direction with. And considering you're teaching high school students, you have an opportunity on the court to mold these students and teach some of these things. What about the kids who might not be involved in athletics because it's not their 
ability, their natural ability. What resources are out there for them to have some of the same thinking process to apply it to other things that they're doing in life? Or, you know, even if it's on the robotics club or the speech and debate club, or even if they're not a part of any of that stuff, how do you all as teachers access those kids and teach them that information? Right. Well, I I think the number one thing, the high school does a really good job of including everybody in something. Uh, We have have so many clubs, so many activities that are just outside of sports. You know, there's a United Nations club. Um, There's obviously you said robotics, theater, dance. There's so many activities that kids can get involved in. And there's so many good mentors in this school too, that just outside of sports that you know, I've lived really interesting lives in that really just have a lot of good input. Like, you know, Jackson Hole in general is just a really good melting pot of got people have had experiences and you can definitely tell that here at the high school. There's so many people that just want to help out, learn, and just have lifelong learners that can teach these kids how to be that, you know, kind of mentor to them. And it's great that the high school has that. At what stage did the grades below high school be exposed? to some of those organizations. Yeah, no, I mean, so that's, I, I see it firsthand at the high school, but I hear the middle school too has a ton, ton of resources. You know, for me, we have, you know, middle school athletics too. So just using what I see as an example, we have middle school athletics and we have middle school basketball, but there's also like, you know, in fifth and sixth grade, they have the opportunity to go and have, I think it's before school, they have basketball, just open gym where there's teachers that go let them play, get exposed to things like that. I'm sure it's the other way in all programs, but I see a basketball specifically that there's just tons of opportunities for kids. Here. And I, I think that's where it really starts. That middle school age is when they're trying to figure out what, what do we like? Mm-hmm. What, what are we going to get into? And so that's really good age to have a lot of opportunities just outside of the the normalities, I would say like middle school basketball is a normal thing across the country, but having them in fifth and sixth grade, that they can go play in the morning and just kind of get exposed to it and have fun. That's huge. Yeah, for sure. I, I remember as a, you know, I grew up in a small town in Mississippi and, you know, I was odd man now. I was a Jewish kid, but the, the Southern Baptist church, the first Baptist church was the dominant force in that town. And they had a gym and you know what, after school, that's where you would go, not because you were told to go there, but because that's where everybody was hanging out and playing basketball or they had ping pong tables and pool tables. It was phenomenal. And to see what was there, the, the opportunities just to be able to play. Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing here is, you know, out most of the other places in the country don't have the ski programs like we do. Mm. Uh, we have so many kids in the ski programs and that's that's really cool. That's something that you don't get to experience everywhere else. That's true. So where is the basketball program now compared to where it was when you first started, Hayden? Well, culturally, it's it's a long process to build, right? Mm-hmm. We've, we've come so far. We'll just start out with that. We've come so far to, you know, getting competitive. You know, for those of you that don't really know, Jacksonville High School's, you know, in some sports were 4A, which is the highest classification in Wyoming for sports and some were 3A. Basketball, we are 4A. So we compete against, you know, the Cheyennes, the Laramies, all the Sheridans, Gillette, the big, the big, big schools in the state. And so we've struggled. We got to 4A in basketball in 2014 or 15. And um, 
they had not, we have not had a winning record since 2010. So it's been a long time since we've had a winning record. And last year, our first year as a staff, we came in and we were one win short of ha having a winning record. So, you know, before we got here as a staff, we were one in 40 in two years. And last year, I think we went 10 and 11. Wow. Well, it's, it's, it's turning around and, you know, going into this season, you know, we're, we're expected to be really good. Just a couple of days ago, we had an article come out that it's a na national media type deal. And our, one of our players, our really good player was named the best player in the state of Wyoming as a junior. So rats. Yeah. So he's uh, just that kind of stuff. He's, you know, not just him, but everybody's worked really hard to get where we're going. And with everybody working so hard to get where, where you're going. What's the difference of competitiveness that's coming out of some of these bigger schools compared to Jackson competing at that 4A? Yeah. So student-wise, we're, you know, we're about, I think we're near a thousand at the high school. Some of these schools are playing are about 1,500. We got a lot more, in general, the idea is that you have a lot more kids to choose from. But, you know, us, I think the next step for us is just building year out, year in and year out from the middle school level, getting kids involved early on and getting them kind of acclimated to what basketball is, not just like specifically making them basketball only kids, but, you know, introducing the game at a younger age. That's what I can see, you know, a really good, really, really good class right now is our junior class. And what they had was they had parents that took them everywhere, even from like the middle school ages, just to play against really good competition. Hmm. But that's something we don't have here isolated in you know, Western Wyoming is a lot of competition we could just go to and play. You know, we have to go to Salt Lake, Denver, Idaho Falls to be the closest place. We, we have to go to play, you know, basketball games. So like, you know, in Atlanta, you can go down the street, right? Here you have to go two and a half hours, you know, yeah. play a basketball game. So that, that's the biggest difference for us is just getting people bought into what we're doing and uh, giving kids opportunities to get better at it would mm -hmm. be my say. That's awesome. Hey, Hayden, we got to take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors. And then we're going to be right back to talk to you about the basketball program and what you're doing over there with the students. Thanks, Stephen. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov recycle and join today. Hayden, welcome back to the Jackson Hole Connection. You just shared with us the successful progression that you've had with the basketball program. And I'm, I'm curious to know, what's the commitment for parents? And then what's the commitment and time spent with you? And, and how many coaches do you have yeah, on the high school so level? First coaches at the high school level, I have three assistants. You know, we got a varsity assistant uh, and we have a... JV coach and a freshman coach. And then we have, a, you know, a lot of guys that just help out volunteering, volunteering their time because they want to be involved. Uh -huh. uh, we have two or three other guys that are going to volunteer and help us this year just on their own time, just because they want to, you know, help out, teach the kids and be more involved in the game. So we have plenty of help 
that's 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 something that's changed since we've been here too. I've seen a lot more people willing to help as we've been growing a culture, getting a little better too. So commitment wise, kids, you know, right now our players, I told them the other day, they have opportunities about 360 days a year if they want to get better at basketball. That's just how, you know, we see it as coaches that if we open the gym on these days, let them come in and just shoot, play against each other, they're getting better every day. So uh, we try to give them as much opportunity as we can. And so obviously no one comes in 360 days a year, but if you come in half of those days, wow, you're going to get a lot better really quick. I mean, that's what we've seen in a lot of players. So that's the player commitment. You know, it's just, it's up to you. Um, we can't mandate anything here in Wyoming playing, you know, days, come in, practice over the summer, nothing. It's all optional. Do some states do that? Absolutely. Uh, really? You know, Georgia, where I was, you know, we had tryouts in April for the next fall and uh, you were required to come in all summer, all summer. You had to play. It was team. If you didn't, you know, we could cut you state of Wyoming. You know, we, we don't have tryouts till after Thanksgiving. And so everything has to be optional over the summer, over the spring. So yeah, it's a lot different. Something I've had to adjust to as a coach, just trying to figure out, all right, what's the best system we have here? What can we do? What can we, you know, best utilize our time with these players? Mm-hmm. Then parent wise, you know, that's, it's a huge commitment playing any sport here just yeah. because of travel. I know every sport, soccer has to go to Casper a lot to play soccer, have to go to Salt Lake for us in the spring and summer. We, we try to travel as much as we can. We've done Salt Lake. We've done Idaho Falls a ton. But the next time we're trying to expand even more just because we're getting really good. We got to see what we can compete with out there. Um, So we hope to go to Denver, have a lot of team camps in Denver this next summer, and just trying to see what kind of competitive basketball team we have. But yeah, parent-wise, it's a huge commitment, just travel-wise. You know, that's not cheap to travel places either. So it's it's a huge, huge task on the parents as well. Yeah, I mean, what a a major financial, not just time commitment from having to take off work, but gosh, the financial commitment from you taking off work, and then you got to pay for the travel and the meals and the hotel. And my gosh, it adds up quick. And uh, I will say the one thing that has really helped us as a program, we have Jacksonville Youth Basketball here. And that's kind of what we do our travel season through in spring and summer. And so they have, you know, it's a nonprofit organization. So they can help out anybody who can't afford to, you know, buy the jersey or buy, you know, get the entrance tournaments we go to. They help out scholarship wise, letting kids have access to the sport. And we have a lot of parents through that organization too, that will take the kids. You know, we have some parents that'll take four or five kids on the road with them for the weekends, which helps out a ton. It's very generous of of them. It, It just shows that it takes a dedicated community to survive out here. I mean, it's such a remote area. It's just like what you said. Hey, and in Atlanta, you just drive down the street. It's 10, 15 minutes, maybe a few miles. But yeah. here, you're talking about a full day travel. Yeah. And that's one of the first statements I had when we got here was that it's not going to take a coach. It's not going to take a team. It's going to take a whole community if we really want to build something in the state of Wyoming, just because of the commitment levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it really does take a whole community buying into what we're doing to become the best we can. Mm-hmm. And as the performance on the on the court has been improving. What do you see that translating into the students' grades and participation in class and the community? Absolutely. No, I, I think that 
athletics is a huge part of student success in the classroom as well. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have a few kids that, you know, will probably be able to go play at the next level. And that's not because just of their basketball ability, but because they're such good students as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got kids that could play at the next level, three, five to four O GPAs. That's huge, especially in a community like this, where, you know, you got kids that are good enough to play at division three schools, which those are all academic scholarships, right? But it's definitely a benefit to be able to play basketball too. And that gets you in a little easier if you play. So academically, we're a very high, very high functioning high school. we got a lot of good kids. There's not a kid on my roster that I worry about academically. They just are so bought into the aspect of, you know, this is how we get to college. This is, you know, even if they don't want to go to college, this is, this is how I get the best job opportunities outside of high school. That's one thing as a coach, I've really, really come to appreciate a place like this is something I don't have to worry about as a coach. Mm -hmm. They are so motivated and just love, they love the school. I think it's really easy on me to do that. How do you translate their success and involvement in the team to having a strong, supportive job when they get out of high school? Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a really good question. You know, for every kid, the motivation's different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some really do want to go play college basketball. And if that's the dream, that's the one thing as a coach, I know if that's, if they tell me that's what they want to do, I've got them right there. Mm -hmm. I've got them right there as a player. I can hold that against them. You know, you, you, you're not coming to workouts over the summer. Well, how, how do you think you're gonna play college basketball? Well, Mm -hmm. um, just quick motivation. Like as soon as they say that, I know I've got them. And, you know, usually they're successful because of that. Once you figure out what their reason is or what they want to do with it, that's how you hold them accountable and get them in the right direction. Academically too, we have strong, strong eligibility rules here. You know, if the kid's failing, we won't let them play basketball. They got to get that grade up for they're eligible to play. That, you know, I've never had to use that since I've been here, but I hope I, you know, knock on wood, I hope I don't, but like. That's another accountability factor is just, you want to play basketball, get it done in the classroom first. Mm -hmm. I went to Alabama and there, there was okay. a story. Yeah. And there was a story about my aunt or my dad needing help with something and with a class and they needed help. And the comment was, whatever the bear wants, the bear gets. Yeah. Yeah. So, Basically, what they were saying is go to the football dorm and whatever information you need to be successful to pass your test, you can find it there. He's got it. Yeah. And I think that, that that's college. But even in high school, I, I feel that at one point that was pretty prevalent, that if the coaches wanted a star player to play, that player was going to play whether they were passing or failing. But on paper, it looked like that they were passing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's, you know, there's definitely people that do that for sure. That's, that's how some people operate. We're that's not going to still happening here in the U S absolutely hundred percent. Know, it is absolutely. That's not how we're going to operate it. You know, we're really just really concerned with the, the kid's success. If, if we give them a break there, what's he going to get a break with next? We don't want, we don't want to start going down that path. Now, do you talk about that in a value sense with your students and your players? Because to me, just talking to you, that sounds like it would go against the values that you have for being a coach and a teacher. Right. No, I mean, well, you know, the, the easy example is uh, it's it comes back to discipline. You've got the easy way out over here on your left hand, right? Easy way out. I could go, for example, my weight loss. I've got a, you know, a cake sitting on that counter, right? I mean, I know I want to eat it, right? But I know if I want to lose that two pounds 
over the week or two weeks, I can't eat that. And on the right hand, you know, I know it's right not to eat that thing. I know I can't, you know, if I want to stay on progress, I got to do the right thing, stay disciplined and, you know, not eat the cake. Now I got two choices. Which one do I make? Easy way out usually is one that's going to hurt you. The hard way is on that right hand where, you know, all right, I'm going to stay disciplined. I'm going to not eat that piece of cake in two weeks. So, you know, see the progress. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of, you know, it's a long, it's a long process and discipline, but that's kind of how we hold our values to it. Now, kids today compared to kids when you first started coaching, maybe when you were in that high school in Atlanta, which is not very long ago. Yeah. And that was pre-COVID, correct? Correct. And, and I don't want to put everything on COVID. I mean, right. People just change over time. Society changes over time. What's the difference of, or even when you were early in college and working at some of those camps, what's the difference of what you saw then to where, what you see now? You know, we can even go back. I, I graduated high school in 2013. Okay. So even use our high school as an example. I'd say, you know, when I was in high school, uh, we were very, very lucky to have things like basketball to keep hold us in place. COVID obviously changed that. They didn't have sports for two years. I think some accountability lacked because of that. But I just see commitment levels being harder and harder these days. Committed to a, a cause or committed to a, uh, you know, what you're doing. And I can, I can trace that back to basketball or academics. And I don't know, it might be COVID. It might, it might not. It might just be kids have so many opportunities these days to do whatever they want, especially since I was in high school. And especially in a place like this in Jackson Hole, that we have so many things to offer that not a lot of places have. So it's different that I see here. There's so many ways that are pulling kids to do things. So it's hard to get a commitment to doing one thing really well. I mean, I'm not saying that's the way to do things. You know, if you want to be good at a few things, 100% do it. But I see that as like, you know, when I was in high school, we had one goal and it was to be the best as an athlete, be the best basketball player we could be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I see the difference is it's just, you know, there's so many different things these days. And to be honest, the social media aspect um, has changed everything, I think. It's, it just pulls kids in so many different directions. And to be honest, just health-wise, I don't see it helping us as a community, social media. It kind of, it's, it's definitely changed since we were in high school. I, I was in high school. Let's just say that. I agree with you on that. And for me, we will keep our kids out of having their own devices for as long as possible, like, for example, I told somebody last week that my kids get to watch TV twice a week. And <laughs> yep. they said, well, do they know how to play Angry Birds? It's like, not that I'm aware of. I've never given them a device to say, go play Angry Birds. Right. And my kids are nine and six. And I'm not digging on anybody no. in any way. But that's just yep. what my wife and I, how we've chosen to to raise our kids. Totally. I mean, I think the saddest thing is the in the world is when you go out to dinner somewhere oh. and and you see a whole family, a, a kid that's probably, we'll say four or five on their iPad playing games, mm. the older sister, you know, over there on her phone. And then the parents doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just kids. It's not just kids these days. It's, no. you know, they see us doing it as well. But right. I think part of it as well. That's sad. It's also sad. My wife and I'll go out. We're, we're fortunate enough to get a sitter and go out on a date and have dinner together. And you see two adults out there. They're yeah. on a date and they're on their devices versus talking to each other. I know. It's a, it's a downfall for sure. I don't know how we get out of it, though. It's so addicting. That's, I think, the problem with the youth. And I see it as that way. It's like, you know, while the kids' brains are developing, this is what they're used to. Mm-hmm. What's it going to look like in 10 years? 
Well, I'm going to flip one of your statements back to you when you said, how do we get out of it? Because you just said discipline and you yeah. use the example of the cake. What's easy? It's easy to go eat the cake. You might not see the results immediately, but down the road, you are going to see the results. It's going to hurt you. Same thing with using those devices. It's discipline to say, Absolutely. I'm putting it away. Right. And I did, I don't know all the psychological things behind it, but there's got to be something psychological about the addiction to the phone, to the social media. Is it doable? That's the other thing I, I worry about is, is it doable through discipline? I don't know the answer. Not smart enough. That's over my pay grade. I'm not a specialist either to comment on that, <laughs> but I think anytime you're trying to overcome a, an addiction and that's what it is, it comes down to discipline. Yeah. Uh, it's just if you're addicted to cigarettes, you have to yeah. find something new to fill that time. You gave a quote earlier about learning or, or failing. I don't remember what it was, yeah. but it, it was, it's the same thing. You have to find something else. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do when you need to do it. That's right. That's right. Take the hard route. So the basketball program, are you guys in season right now? We are not. So we start, we start trials and practice the week after Thanksgiving. Okay. Uh, and we go to our first tournament December 8th in Riverton. So mm -hmm. uh, we get rolling pretty quick once practice starts. And even though you can't require students to show up to early season practice, can you offer voluntary clinics, let's say, for these students? Hey, it's not required, but if you want to be great at your team, this is what I'm offering and this is where I'll be and when. 100%. Um, and that's kind of why I said earlier, we have, you know, we have opportunities 360 days a year, basically. We let the kids, they can text us. We set up times just to get them in the gym. We're very fortunate. We got like shooting guns. I don't know if a lot of people don't know what these are. What it's is shooting. a shooting gun? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't sound good, but it's a, it's a basketball machine that it has a big net you put around the goal and it just feeds you balls constantly. So we've got kids that come in throughout the summer, throughout the spring that they can make 400 three-pointers in about an hour. Um, just on the shooting gun. It's huh. such a good technology that, you know, really translates to games too. It's just shooting reps. Uh, that's what we preach to our guys. You're going to be a better shooter the more times you do it. So we have like a 5,000 made three-pointers club, a 10,000, a 20,000 made three-pointers club. And it's it's kind of an incentive for, hey, you guys come in, you know. Mm -hmm. you know. I think this is the year too that our theory will be proven. The shooting reps mm -hmm. thing will be proven. Right now we're just telling them and they haven't seen it in action yet. But I think once this season happens, we'll have, you know, three of the four or five best shooters in the state. And uh, our, our theory will be proven true. So I think it'll, it'll, uh, we'll, we'll get a lot more commitment after this season, I think, shooting wise. That's right. People, people remember all the shots Jordan may, made. They don't remember all the shots that he missed or see all the shots that he missed in practice, especially when he was a kid. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, and that's what we preach is just, you know, it's a, it's a made three-pointers club. It's not how much you shoot. It doesn't count if it doesn't go in. So mm -hmm. uh, we want as many makes as we can. And it's just muscle memory as a game. But like most sports, muscle memory. The more times you do something, the better you're going to be at it. I can't remember. I think it's Gladwell has the 10,000 hours theory. And so ours is 10,000 made shots. And we'll see. You know, I think the, I think the theory will be proven true this this season. That's great. Well, Hayden, thank you for what you're doing at our high school and for the students, for all of those students to help them learn how to study, how to take notes, 
how to the importance of turning in their homework because when we get people that come to to work for me and they say, yeah, I'm going to come show up to work. We hired some high school kids this summer and out of a three week period, they showed up for three shifts and they were supposed to be working three days a week. Yeah, I know that's that's the time we live in too. It's just, uh, it's a little different than, you know, when we grew up, you know, and it's also the shortage of workers too. (laughs) They kind of learn too that they can do that a little right now because Everyone needs workers. Well, they, they weren't working anywhere else. They just weren't showing up. Yeah, I know. So that's, it's something we're dealing with. I think everyone's dealing with it too. So we're trying our best here at the high school to, <laughs> to teach them the right ways. That's awesome. And I appreciate it, Hayden. Thank you. Thank you, Stefan. Thanks for having me, man. And if somebody wants to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way that they can do that, Hayden? Absolutely. I, I, I get my phone number out to everybody, you know, don't have any worries if I, I love to connect with everybody in the community. So, you know, my cell phone number is 256-616-3043. Uh, you can just shoot me a text or a call and love to connect and kind of, you know, see how we can help you and how you can help us and just build a community of, you know, basketball and high school as well. I love it. And just build a community of involved people. In general, you know, yeah. love to learn, love to learn anything. You know, I, I think the best, you know, characteristic anybody can have is being a lifelong learner of everything. Just never stop wanting to learn. I'm in. <laughs> I love it. I'm doing it. Thanks, awesome. Aiden. We'll go Thank enjoy you. your day and keep making a positive impact on those students. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stefan. Same to you, man. Thank you. To learn more about Hayden, visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 214. Thank you, everyone, for listening and tuning in today. I really appreciate your time. Get out there and share this podcast so other people can enjoy the stories and connections that you're making through listening to people's real stories. And Facebook, Instagram, all of those channels. Thank you, Michael, for doing the editing and marketing every single episode. And, of course, to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, who are silly willies. Thank you for sharing your time with me today and cheers till next week when I see you right back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.